Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another season of Draftville, the USA Today Sports Network's podcast previewing the NFL Draft, which is coming up in April in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Tommy Dees, from the Tennessean in Nashville. And just like last year, I'll be interviewing beat writers, experts, and columnists from around the country to get the latest as teams prepare for the draft. For our first episode this year, we're starting with the team with the number one overall pick, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're coming off the kind of year you would expect from a team with the number one pick, and they have an easy decision, or maybe they don't. They could pull a bungles. Joining us to discuss it is Tyler Dragon of the Cincinnati Enquirer. And our other guest will be Nate Davis, who covers the NFL for USA Today. He'll give us a look at the big picture as we head into the draft. Well, hello, Tyler. How are you doing today? Uh, better than the Bengals, I hope? <laughs> yes, I am doing uh, better than the Bengals, which is probably easy to do coming off a 2-14 and 14 season. So it's, it's not hard to do a little bit better, but... If there is a silver lining, they do have the number one overall pick in this year's draft. So they're doing pretty good about that. They're uh, pretty excited to have that number one pick because that can be a franchise-changing pick that they have in April. Exactly, and that's why we brought you on to Draftville as our first guest. You're the leadoff hitter. We're looking for Ricky Henderson stuff out of you. Um, So what will the Bengals do with the number one pick? Is Burrow a lot? I'm more Ken Griffey, so I don't know how that works. But <laughs> uh, Joe Burrow is, uh, in my opinion, a lot, and that has been the case probably since December. He's been number one on the Bengals draft board, and that 18-minute conversation that the team and Burrow had at the NFL scouting scouting combine last week in Indianapolis pretty much solidified it. I mean, team sources told me who were in the meeting that Burrow was very smart. Uh, He will be NFL ready. And I had another source who was in the meeting that told me Burrow was the real deal. So I would be shocked if the Bengals did not draft Joe Burrow number one overall. And the Bengals have yet to shock me. Well, um, they didn't shock me last year. I had them kind of go doing about like they did. But, um, Let's talk about Joe Burrow a little bit. He's a guy who who was okay the year before at LSU, transfer from Ohio State, and I don't think everybody saw this coming. I don't think anybody had him number one on their board going into this season. What did he do to get to that position? Well, yeah, he was a mid- to late-round pick coming into his senior season, and, I mean, he put it all on tape for this senior season, so all the records that he set and won the Heisman Trophy, won the national championship. He impressed a lot of scouts. He obviously impressed the Bengals. His arm talent isn't the best, but he makes up for that with his accuracy and his decision-making in the pocket. He's a quick processor. He diagnoses defense as well. And the Bengals and a lot of other NFL scouts like his intangibles and that's why he is the presumptive number one overall pick yeah and LSU tweaked their offense going into the the past season they have been a little more you know too tight in pro style um just just basic NFL type football which is what you would think you would want your guy to to thrive in but they did a lot more spread elements they, they brought in an offensive coordinator from the Saints um do, do you see the Bengals being willing to 
are they going to try to fit him into into a square hole as a round peg? Or are they going to tweak what they do to presuming they draft him to fit his talents? Well, yeah, Joe Brady's offense that you're speaking of, the now offensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers, uh, he ran that pro-style offense at LSU. And Zach Taylor's offense does fit what uh, kind of what Joe Brady was trying to do. Zach Taylor likes to run 11 personnel, and that's uh, three wide receivers and uh, one tight end and one running back. So that uh, caters to Joe Burrow's um, attributes a little bit. He will have A.J. Green back there because uh, the Bengals plan to franchise tag him. He's a legit number one wide receiver. And every down running back in Joe Mixon. And we'll see what they do with the tight end spot. Um, they don't think, I don't think that Tyler Eifert uh, will be back next year. But C.J. Uh, Uzama is a solid tight end and, and is productive. Drew Sample he was hurt at the uh, latter portion of last season, but the Bengals do like him at the tight end spot. So Joe Burrow will have assets to throw to and hand the ball off to his rookie season in Cincinnati. Well, it would seem to be kind of a perfect storm when you have the number one overall pick and there's a good quarterback available and that's your position of need. But is there any chance that the Bengals would trade down, trade this pick, Try to load up maybe on defensive guys or, or, or whatever. Is that even a possibility? I mean, there, there's always a chance, but like I said, the Bengals have not shocked me yet, and I don't believe that they're going to shock me on draft day. I am um, very, <laughs> very uh, sure that they are going to pick Joe Burrow with the number one overall pick. They like him as a quarterback. They like him as a person. They think he's a, a model citizen um, in and out of the locker room. So I expect the Bengals to draft him number one overall come April. All right, well, let's get past the number one pick since we kind of figure we know what's going on there. How, how are the Bengals set up for the, the rest of the draft as far as how many picks they have and how they're spread over the rounds? Yeah, well, I expect the Bengals to draft um, a linebacker, maybe multiple linebackers in the mid-rounds, maybe even as early as the second round. Um, Texas Tech linebacker uh, Jordan Brooks uh, I have um, on my draft board for the Bengals. Maybe Oregon linebacker Troy Dye. Um, I have him in a, a mock draft maybe in the third round or in the second round. Um, a defensive tackle, the Bengals, definitely need to give Geno Atkins some help on the interior of the defense. So that can be a possibility in the uh, mid to later rounds or even uh, the second round, maybe uh, Alabama defensive tackle of Raquan Davis is available. With the 33rd pick in the second, the Bengals could go there. So there are positions of need that the Bengals need to address in the second, third, fourth rounds, and fifth, and uh, all the way to the seventh. Uh, even at uh, guard, the Bengals have um, a need at left guard. So I expect the Bengals to attack the line of scrimmage, the defensive line, and the offensive line uh, during the draft, and then also that linebacker uh, position. Yeah, and, and I think when you look, most, most great teams are built inside out. The closer to the ball, the better you want them. Um, including quarterback, but if you don't have an offensive line, your quarterback's never as effective. And if you don't have a defensive line in the NFL, your quarterback may never see the ball 
Um, so, so you would you would say that the, that the Bengals probably, other than quarterback, do need to address defense first, right? I I don't I wouldn't say first, but they need to address it early on in the draft. That could be with the uh, second round pick. That could be third or fourth round. Uh, it, it's dependent upon uh, their draft board and which players are available. I can see them drafting a linebacker in the second round. Uh, I could also see them drafting a, a guard in the second round, but I would not be surprised at all if they went defense and addressed that uh, defensive tackle position in the uh, round two as well. All right. Well, what did we learn at the NFL scouting combine that might impact the Bengals? Are there guys there that you saw that jumped out that might be on their board, or are there people maybe they were looking at that didn't show out that you think eliminated themselves from the Bengals? Well, I thought it was interesting. I spoke with uh, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo at the Combine, and uh, he told me that he believes this year's draft class uh, of linebackers is really deep. And that kind of uh, surprised me because uh, a lot of scouts and um, a lot of people around NFL are not high on this year's linebacker class. But for uh, the Bengals defensive coordinator to say that, that tells me that they have a keen eye at this year's linebacker class, and they are going to address that position uh, in the draft. And I would be surprised if they did not draft um, a linebacker in the mid to later rounds because they have a whole um, Bengals starting linebacker, Nick Vigil. He is headed towards free agency once the new league year begins, and he was uh, that starting linebacker last year with a, a rookie Jermaine Pratt. So they have a, a need right there, and I expect them to address it in the draft and and or free agency. So that linebacker spot, and I, I believe the Bengals do like this year's draft class of a defensive tackle too. So I uh, firmly believe that the Bengals will address the interior of the defense and, again, that linebacker spot. Okay, well, we look at the division. We've seen the Browns. They didn't become the team that everybody, I think, maybe got a little prematurely, um, you know, expectations on them. Um, But we've seen them make improvements over the last couple of years. Uh, The Steelers aren't quite what they used to be. The Ravens are the team to beat, and I don't think that changes. But what are the chances that the Bengals are able to step up at least to the number two spot? Could that happen, and what would that take? You know, I've gotten that question a lot this offseason. And, you know, the Ravens are by far and away the best team in the AFC North. Yeah, if you if you tell game, me they're going to topple the Ravens and take over the division, we can go ahead and end the call now. <laughs> yeah, I, I might be drinking a little bit on this call if uh, I said that. But uh, I am not drinking. And the Ravens, in my opinion, will again uh, win the division. Now, when it comes to the Bengals, you know, eight of their 14 losses were one-score games. So if they just turn around half of those games, they can be in the conversation for third place in the division. Do I see them uh, creeping all the way up to number two? Not yet. I think they're probably two years away uh, from being the second-best team in the AFC North. I can see them... uh, finishing third in the division. You know, the Browns and the Steelers, both of those teams aren't that great. 
I believe the Browns are the second best team in the division, followed by the Steelers and then the Bengals. So if I had to uh, make a prediction right now, obviously the Ravens number one, the Browns number two, the Steelers uh, will be better next year with Big Ben um, healthy, and then I have the Bengals uh, bringing up the rear again at number four in the AFC North. All right, well, thanks for joining us, Tyler Dragon, on Draftville. We'll uh, keep an eye on the Bengals and that number one pick and see how things develop. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And our next guest is Nate Davis, NFL writer for USA Today. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm good, Tommy. How are you doing? All right, well, let's just talk about the NFL draft and college football players and pro football players and all that kind of stuff. So, the first thing I want to ask is when you look at this year's NFL draft class, what positions are strongest and which are weakest as far as depth and, and maybe really frontline talent? Yeah, I, I kind of came out of Indy Tommy thinking, you know, and, and you kind of get an appreciation that, that really a lot of them, particularly, you know, what the NFL considers premium positions, you know, quarterback, uh, left tackle or offensive tackle in general, cornerback, wide receiver. Um, those are all pretty good positions, both in terms of, of the high end talent uh, and, and the depth, uh, and, and even positions that you know the NFL generally does not value as much uh, these days. You know, guys, running backs, uh, you know, linebackers, particularly guys that are off ball uh, or inside linebackers, um, they're they're very good uh, as well. I, I would say maybe the only position that feels like maybe there, there's a little bit of a, of a shortfall this year. Um, um, arguably safety, uh, and even that I think could be okay if some of these guys that were hurt um, uh, heal up in, in the, uh, the pre-draft process here and in the interior offensive line. It, it, that's okay, too. But um, I think overall takeaways, if you're, a, if you're an NFL fan or a draft fan, or a, you know, your, your team should definitely be getting good players uh, the draft this year. And I, think, I think the one position everybody acknowledges uh, is just off the charts this year is wide receiver. And you know, if your team needs a receiver, uh, you're probably going to come away with a guy that you know might might be a first round pick one year, uh, maybe back a first round, maybe you can get in the third round uh, this year. So that that's a particularly strong group. Yeah, and and how do you see that effect in the draft? Um, when when a position like that is is deep, you can wait longer to get a a number one guy or a number two guy that, that you can plug and play, right? Yeah, it's one of those things. That certainly, you, know, you could. Uh, you know, you, you, and I think I think if you're a team, you know, for instance, you know, the, the New York Jets who, who pick at eleven, um, you know, they they need a number one receiver. But I think probably a team in their shoes, you know, they, they need a lot of other stuff too. Uh, they re- they really need offensive linemen. I think they're the kind of teams that probably are, are going to wait and maybe try to get their guy um, on day two of the draft or, or that kind of thing. Uh, you know that being said, you know there's enough there's enough guys here. If you love speed and Henry Ruggs or an all around guy like like C. D. Lamb uh, or Jerry Judy from Alabama, you know you, if, if you if you like one of these guys, you know you probably don't want to don't want to wait too long uh, either. But I think I think it gives some teams obviously the uh, the ability to wait a little bit. Um, but uh, you know other teams, if you don't have a particular uh, a particular body type, a particular guy you're looking at. I think you can either either wait or you can maybe trade down a little bit and try to try to get some uh, draft capital out of the fact that it's such a loaded market there this year. Yeah, I mean, if you see Megatron or who you think is going to become the next Megatron, or you see Jerry Rice, you probably don't want to say, "Well, I can I can get another good right. receiver in the third round." Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, don't, I doubt you're going to see too many teams trading up for receivers this year, uh, unless you just identify that you know this is the guy that, that we have to have, but. 
otherwise, I think that that position definitely can kind of fall to you on the board. And, and again, I think you can you can probably uh, almost say, hey, let's let's, let's wait a day uh, on this and kind of see uh, uh, how how it plays out and take take another guy that we, that we need at cornerback or left tackle or whatever else, which are harder positions to fill at the time. All right. Well, well, let's talk about uh, the combine a little bit. The name, give me four or five players who who either exceeded your expectations or maybe didn't live up to your expectations. Uh, guys that that you had an eye on going in, or either who caught your eye while you were there, while you were watching. Well, a lot of guys really, really uh, were very impressive. You know, in, in the receiver class, I think you look at Justin Jefferson. Uh, of LSU caught, you know, I think 111 balls last year. I think people kind of wondered, is this, is this a guy that could play outside? Is this a guy that's got uh, deep speed? And he ran a 4-4-3-40, so I think he kind of answered any questions uh, about that. He, he certainly looks like he's, he's going to be a guy that, that's a, that's a first-round lock at this point. Uh, you know, the offensive lineman, you know, mentioned then, Mackay Beckman from Louisville, got to spend a little time with him. You know, the guy's Six seven, six seven, three hundred and sixty four pounds, and you know he runs forty yards in five one flat. And you know you watch his film, and he, you know, he's just so big. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to get around him if you're a pass rusher. And then he's just tossing guys around like ragdolls uh, in the running game. So uh, I fully expect he's going to be probably a top ten pick uh, in April. Tristan Worse, you know, another guy, Iowa. You know, people talked about how good he was. And we always talk about how good, and you know, the, the finished products that, that uh, Iowa tends to produce along his offensive line, but some people kind of thought he might kick from tackle to guard once he gets to the NFL, but he tested uh, extremely well, uh, showed to be a very explosive athlete, has a, has a wrestling background, and um, I think he's a guy that probably can't survive and then probably even thrive uh, at, at tackle in the NFL, so he, he's another one. And on the defensive side, I think you got to look at, at Clemson's Isaiah Simmons. You know, I, I got to spend some time and ask him a few questions, too, and you know, this guy's six four and almost two hundred and forty pounds and he runs runs a four three nine forty, uh, which is, you know, but tells tells you the kind of athlete he is. Uh, and then when you kinda of look at his highlights and his film, you know, he he sometimes played up to five positions in the game uh, for Clemson. Now, I mean the inter- interesting thing about that is is if is he a jack of all trades, master of none, uh, or, or can he really play all these these positions at a high level in the NFL, you know, kinda of, kinda of how we've seen some guys uh, do in recent years. You think of Tyrant Matthew, Honey Badger, or Darwin James, or that kind of thing. Uh, Simmons is bigger than those guys, and I think he's probably going to find the linebacker is his best home in the NFL. But um, that being said, he's one of these guys that really gives you a lot of uh, a lot of different options on the field if you're a defensive coordinator. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't know there's anybody that really came to the combine this year and, and bombed Tommy, but I, I think I think the thing you kind of leave with and the thing that you, you learn is as the, uh, the national championship and the football playoffs go deeper and deeper into January. Uh, I think this year was an especially late uh, kickoff for the title game. Oh, you didn't see a lot of those guys working out. The LSU guys, uh, the, the Ohio State guys, uh, I know they lost in the semifinals. Um, you know, so you're going to have to kind of look at the pro day for, for some of them. You know, obviously Tua as well with, with, with the injury. But um, a lot of these guys played for LSU. I talked about how long the season went. And, you know, they're still kind of recovering physically and didn't really have the same amount of time to train and get ready for the combine that a lot of their peers did. So um, that, that LSU Pro Day is going to be uh, quite heavily attended, I'm sure. We'll probably get to see guys like, like Joe Burrow, Grant Delpet, and then you know, others work out and kind of show, uh, show what they're made of. Well, is, is two of the most intriguing guy in this draft? Because this is a guy who, without the injury, might be in the top one or two or three picks, and we don't know where he's going to end up. Yeah, he's certainly a... Uh, um, 
yeah, whether you want to call it intrigue or mystery or whatever, and, and Tua certainly seems to think you know that, that everything is on track, and all the reports are that the hip, his hip is is, is uh, moving right along, and there, there, there doesn't appear to be any long term damage there. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of why I'm mentioning uh, he's. I think he expected to be cleared for uh, football activities uh, on March 9th, which is which is next week, and, and then uh, he's going to scheduled to have his own his own personal Tua pro day on, on April 9th to kind of show. Uh, show what type of player he is, and then where he is physically, and that that's going to be you know very interesting uh, for teams like Cincinnati and Washington, and maybe even Detroit, the top of the draft. You know, where if you're if you're the Bengals, and you know the whole world assumes that they're taking Joe Burrow, but if, if Tua is, is back to full health, or if, even if he shows he's ninety percent health, and if, if you're Cincinnati, you got Andy Dalton, you say, hey, you know this this is a better, uh, more more physically impressive player. Uh, do we just go ahead and take him and, and, and let him sit behind Danny Dalton until he's ready to play? Um, you know, does, does Washington do what the, what the Cardinals did last year? You know, the Cardinals draft Josh Rosen, but then they, they like Kyler Murray better a year later. Would the Redskins do the same thing with Tua despite taking uh, Dwayne Haskins last year? Uh, you know, number three, it seems like the Lions, you know, uh, they're, they're trying to tell everybody that, that Matthew Stafford's their guy. He's not going anywhere. You know, I know some Detroit columnists have kind of floated, well, let Matthew play in 2020, but draft Tua and get him ready to go. Uh, don't know how viable a scenario that is, but by the same token, I think if you're holding that number three pick and Tua's on the board, that's a, that's a spot where teams might start wanting to, to come up and, and get them. I think you know, the the assumption has been that the Tua might go to Miami at number five. We heard all the tanking for Tua stuff, you know, associated with the Dolphins for, for a year, and I think the Dolphins showed us that they weren't tanking for anybody at the end of last season, but uh, if you're Miami sitting at number five and then Falling in love with Tua, uh, I'm not sure you can afford to just stand pat there, and particularly with all the draft capital the Dolphins have amassed. I think you might really have to consider: Hey, do we need to just move up from five to, to three or even two uh, to to assure that we get our guy and then don't get jumped by you know the Chargers or you know certainly uh, the, Pan- the the Panthers or, or, or whatever other teams that might need a quarterback. When you when you look at this draft from a team perspective and an NFL team perspective. Which teams have have the the pick stockpiled to do the most damage to to improve themselves the most? When you look at it, really round one through seven, and not just who's picking first, second, third kind of thing. Well, yeah, I think I think you know I missed the Dolphins. You you really you look at them. You know they, they they've made some, some some trades last year. You know let let Laramie Tunsil go to Houston, and then you know they make a Fitzpatrick deal to uh, to, to Pittsburgh. And that, that's kind of when everyone started, you know, really ramping up the, the tanking talk. But I think the Dolphins have, I want to say, six picks in the first 68, which is the third round. But they've got three in the first, two in the second, uh, plus plus extra ones next year too. So they, they've got ammo this year, and they've got stuff next year to sweeten deals, you know, if they want to move up the board. But um, obviously, they were a pretty bad team in 2019. But I think you know that, that's a team that, that that's really ripe for a, for a quick turnaround. You know the the Oakland Ra- or excuse me the Las Vegas Raiders gonna have to get used to saying that. You know they're they're still. <laughs> I still say still, San Diego uh, Chargers. So. Yeah, no, I know it's hard to get used to kind of back to this franchise free agency stuff. But um, the, the Raiders have have pick twelve, pick nineteen, so that's kind of the the uh, end, end point of their bounty for that Khalil Mack trade with with Chicago a couple of years ago. And you know conversely, the Bears still aren't picking in the first round. I think their their first pick is just forty three. So, so uh, you know, Chicago fans are going to have to wait a day to see their first player come, barring you know another trade. And um, interestingly, I think you know the, the Patriots, for for a change, actually don't have a, a ton of stockpiled picks very high. They pick uh, twenty three, which is uh, unusually you know high for them. 
given given they lost in the in the divisional round. Um, and then their next pick isn't until until the third round. I think they gave up that second round pick for Mohamed Sanu last year. But um, you know, everyone's going to be looking at the Patriots and what happened to Tom Brady, and they got a bunch of other guys uh, that are set to hit free agency too. But they're not necessarily operating from a position where they can just fill you know these all these potentially vacated spots with, with rookies because uh, they don't they don't have the, the draft ammunition that they typically uh, have going into going into April. So, so when you look at free agency, who who besides Tom Brady, who are some of the names you you expect that might move that would impact the draft and, and team needs? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of compelling guys, and you know, we know that you know Philip Rivers is going to be out there, and you know, it, it's going to be kind of that domino effect that if the, if the Buccaneers, for instance, think they could sign Philip Rivers, does that mean that? Jameis Winston is still going to be on. He's going to go free to the market. Is anyone really interested in him? Um, you, you know, the Titans have to decide. You know, as you know, there in your hometown, they, they have uh, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Jack Conklin. They're they're very fine starting right tackle. They're all guys that, that are not uh, under contract for 2020, and they've got some decisions to make there about you know do we, do we tag any of these guys? Uh, and you know, John John Robinson was not tipping his hand at the combine, but I, I would suspect that. Their best strategy is to tag Derrick Henry and make sure that they got him at least for next year. And, and then, you know, can you entice Tannehill to come back, or do you make a run at Tom Brady, or do you like Philip Rivers, or, or, or whatever? So, uh, I, I can't remember a year where there have been so many uh, high-end quarterback names in play, and that, that's even with you know, kind of now we, we know Drew Brees is really going to be going back to, to, to the Saints, and I'm sure the Cowboys are going to franchise Dak Prescott in a way that you can't even talk to him. You know, sometimes you can tag a guy and. Get, get another team to talk to him for that price of two first-round picks. I don't think Dak's going to be in that category. Um, Chris Jones, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, we saw another big Super Bowl. He's another guy I expect is probably going to get a tag. Uh, and Jadavion Clowney, you know, Titans fans are familiar with him. Uh, he went to Seattle in the trade last year. I believe his contract stipulates that he cannot be tagged. So that's, that's a, that should be one guy to keep an eye on that should cash in uh, rather handsomely, you know, after kind of waiting a couple of years. Uh, to do it, so uh, yeah, but you know, many more. Mari Cooper, people know him with, with the Cowboys, and, and I think other names people aren't as familiar with. Uh, Eric Armstead is part of that great defensive line rotation that the, the 49ers largely rode to the Super Bowl. You know, Shaq Barrett uh, left the Broncos after the 2018 season, signed a one-year deal with the Buccaneers, and ends up leading the uh, NFL in sacks with, with 19 and a half. Uh, so the Bucks are another team like the Titans to kind of have this this quandary of do we tag. Jack Barrett, do we tag Jameis Winston? Um, you know, who, who we want to pay, who do we not? What's what's plan B? Or you know, as, as Bucks coach Bruce Arians likes to say, you know, who's behind door number two? Even though I don't really know. So uh, th- this is going to be one of the most fun uh, and, and compelling free agency periods uh, I think in the last decade that, that I can recall. And it's certainly also going to very much shape uh, how, how the NFL draft unfolds. You know, a month afterward. So um, let me close with this. Give me the name of, say, three or four sleepers, names of three or four sleepers who are, are not guys that are first-day guys or maybe even second-day guys who you think could be impactful um, picks in this draft, people that, that, aren't on, that aren't on the radar for you know the, the top line but that you see talent in who could make a difference somewhere. Uh, there, there, like I said, this is going to be so, so such a deep draft that I think you look at a guy like like uh, um, Arizona State's Brandon Ayuk. You know, he's one of these these uh, receivers that, that's going to be kind of borderline first round and, and maybe might be 
first round in, in a standard year, but uh, I, I don't know that he's going to stick in the first round this year just because I think his grade relative to a lot of these other guys uh, you know, may, may not make him stand out as he normally would. But I think um, I had him mocked to the 49ers, I think, at 31, but he's going to kind of be uh, on that line. Uh, I think I think one guy that people kind of got familiar with at the Combine is, uh, is Kyle Duggar, and he plays it with, with Nora Ryan. Uh, so that, that, that kind of tells you that he was a well below the radar. Uh, but he certainly popped up onto it, running you know the other sub four five forty at the combine. Like I said, you know the, the safety class isn't isn't great, so I, I don't know if that might push him up the board a little bit. But you know you don't necessarily look at Lenore Ryan as, as a uh, football power, um, so he's he's a guy to keep an eye on. And I'll give you another receiver too, uh, you know Antonio uh, Gandy Golden at Liberty. Uh, you know this is a, you know another guy that didn't play the big time football program, but. You know, he's been compared. You mentioned Megatron earlier, Tommy. You know, he's, he's 6'4", uh, 223, and, and definitely played like Megatron, you know, with, with Liberty's level of competition. But I think there, there are a lot of people that think that that might, that might translate to the NFL. He's not going to be a, a night one guy, but, you know, when, you, when you're 6'4", and pushing 230, and you're, you're running a 4'640", you know, I think that those are at least the kind of physical traits um, that, that project you fit pretty well uh, in the NFL as long as you can kind of pick up that playbook. And, and sometimes the learning curve for receivers uh, is a little tougher than it is for other positions, but uh, he, he'd be another guy to keep keep an eye on. So, so definitely some sleepers from, from some uh, off-the-radar off kind of uh, football programs uh, to watch out for on draft night and, and night two and three. And is there any quarterback who might go later in the rounds that, that you think could be the real deal? Not not necessarily Hall of Famer, but a true NFL starter. Yeah, you know, the Gardner yeah, Minshew type you know, guy, maybe. That, that's going to be interesting. I know you're you're in SEC land. I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be interested to kind of see what happens with uh, with Jake Fromm. You know, I don't think he's, he's almost certainly not going to be a night one guy. Uh, you know, Jake Jake is kind of hoping that people see kind of qualities in him. Of course, you, know, you think back to, to Drew Brees, and we all we all know what he is now. But he was a second round guy. Uh, when he came into the NFL, and I think uh, Jake Jake is maybe hoping uh, that, that the same works out out for him. You know, for, for quarterbacks, you know, often it seems like the case like you know, these, these guys that get pushed up into the first round, <laughs> but a lot of times it seems like there's a pretty big uh, gap after that where you may not see another one you know pop up till, till around three or around four. Um, and I think it looks like we probably got four solid guys in the first round this year, and then you got guys like Fromm and, and Eason. Out of Washington, but you know, it's one of those things that it only takes one person, obviously, to, to like you to push you up higher than maybe others think you'll go. But um, I think I think you know, Jacob Eason uh, and Farmer probably guys to keep an eye on later on, and, and those are names that, that people know. But I, I don't know that you know. Those are names. Those are names that people in Georgia know, especially. They used to be on the same depth chart together. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, unfortunately, you know, the, the Falcons don't need a quarterback, but uh, it's just one of those things where, yeah. And I think they actually both were in the drills back to back in the combine because their their names alphabetically are you know the E and the F, so <laughs> so it wound up that they were not only competing together at the combine but they were almost literally competing together at the drills. But um, I just don't know that either one of these guys is going to get to get to the big leagues and and, and be more than a guy that's, that's either a prospect or, or a guy that I, I kind of suspect in Prom's case, uh, you know may, maybe that kind of guy like Chief Daniel or whatever that, that makes a career out of holding the clipboard for a long time. All right, Nate Davis, uh, thank you for talking to us. Uh, This has been Draftville, a production of the USA Today Sports Network, and we'll be doing this every week, counting down to the NFL Draft in Las Vegas.